0: Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host Ruar, joined once again by our panel. Say hello, panel.
1: Hey, hello guys. panel. Hello. hello, panel!
0: Joining us today, I see David.
2: Please state the nature of your medical emergency.
0: There's Saima.
3: Flaming fish guts. I see Axel. Hello!
0: There's Samaria. Sup, y'all. And DW.
1: Who lit the fish guts on fire? <laughs>
0: <laughs> indeed Simon, who did light the fish guts on fire
3: anyone standing around swan
0: <laughs> uh greg trying to join us today he's he's having some computer issues he may join us halfway through recording or not we'll we'll find out if he gets those uh worked out but let's just dive into it with uh who we've got here and uh first up we i just want to say hey i missed you guys uh we we, we took a week off there Mm -hmm. and and i'm i'm gonna be dead serious with you it was hard on me i i i had some depression last week because we weren't recording an episode it 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 kind of it i i realized that i this show is a lot more important to me than i realized
4: (laughs) I'm sorry that it hit you hard. I feel bad for that.
0: <laughs> no, um, no, don't feel bad. No, d- a, I, if
4: a sympathetic bat. Yeah. If anything,
0: um, it was something I needed to work out for myself, and realize that I <laughs> I need to take a step back.
4: <laughs> for me, it was it was uh, similar to spring, uh, like summer break, where like I I needed a break, and then during the break I missed it, which brings me back to it. Like yeah, that. yeah. Every once in a while, I need that. It's like okay, I need a break. I need a break, and then oh wait. I do miss that and so yeah, I like
3: that on behalf of the listeners um I really miss not being able to have my late night listen so I was like oh I don't have a new one okay I should go back and listen from the beginning but then I thought I don't want to do that while I'm lying in bed because I want to go back and listen with notes because I'm going to take notes so I'm going like, okay, to save that now for another trouble. time
0: well if you're going to go back and listen to everything with notes we did have a a uh a fan write in a little while back and say that they they wondered if somebody would take notes as to all the crazy theories so we can figure out which ones were correct in the end. Um, Didn't you
4: talk about doing like an award ceremony? Yes. <laughs> getting this one right. Yes, so, the the,
0: the uh, so dead yeah. on the nose award and the uh, what the what were you thinking award? I think is what we'll have to do. Yeah, that's one. That one's yeah. mine. I went
4: well, I am gonna
3: I am gonna listen, and all I'll say is spreadsheet.
0: Yes, <laughs> spreadsheets. Uh, Speaking of spreadsheets, I'm going to refer to mine right now, Um, and we've got a little bit of news to talk about before we get into this week's subject, Um, and that news is there is a new Wheel of Time book coming out. There is? There is. It's it's not a, a book within the universe. It is a book about the Wheel of Time. It is called The Origins of the Wheel of Time, The Legends and Myths That Inspired Robert Jordan. And it's a book by uh, Michael Livingston, and it is uh, also being uh, uh, looked at by uh, uh, Robert Jordan's widow, uh, Harriet. And uh, so it's it's pretty official. It's being published by Tor, which published all of Robert Jordan's books. So this is very much an official book. Um, and it's it's uh, Michael Livingston is going to be looking into the the myths and the the religious uh stories and things from our own world that inspired robert jordan in his world so that tells me i need to get those episodes that i wanted to do about that out of the way before this book comes out so that we can see if i was right or not
4: <laughs> okay but that's when really when, cool. is, when does it come out
0: uh that's gonna come out in november
4: okay yeah we got you on that
0: yeah
3: take my money already
0: yeah, and the the stuff that they're saying is going to be in this book. Um, not just the the stories and myths from our world and how they apply to the Wheel of Time, but there's going to be a brand new updated map that's going to be updated from uh, uh, change requests found in Robert Jordan's notes. Um, which me as a map nerd is is I cannot wait to see that updated map because. Reading the Wheel of Time books, as each book came out, the first thing I would do was open to the the chapter page, find out where the maps in the book were, and open to those maps and study them. I wanted to know this place. So an updated map from Robert Jordan's notes is, has got me really, really nerding out. Um, and there's also going to be an alternate uh, early draft of a scene from Eye of the World that they're going Ooh. to include so yeah this the for for deep deep lore fans like myself this this is this is like ambrosia i cannot wait for this to come out
3: so if we were to come over to your place after november would we find one of the walls of your home would just be the new map
0: yeah more or less <laughs> um yeah it, it would just be that new map with with a bunch of uh, yellow yarn on push pins going <laughs> from point to point yeah yeah very much so um so we've got that coming up i just wanted to bring that up because i am very excited about that um and we will just dive into this week's uh topic and this week's topic we are going to be talking about the characters uh, a little bit about their motivations who they are the the actors playing them we're just gonna start diving in and and seeing what we can find um and today, I really want to focus on the the five youths from Immensfield, uh, the EF5, as I like to call them, um, and uh, also um, Moiraine and Lan, uh, pretty much our seven in the fellowship, as it were.
3: Can I ask you a question about the EF5? Yes. Have you started, do you have to now refer to, you know, when you're writing in um, in the the facebook groups instead mm-hmm. of going ef5 now i sometimes think should i put tw5 oh sorry tr5 yeah. because it's two rivers instead of Emmons field
0: well i was thinking about it i, I like the e i have been calling them the ef5 for years and mm. it always makes me think of uh, the mc5 which is a, a classic proto-punk band um, and it always makes me want to scream uh, kick out the jams mother flamers <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: That sounds very and, uno-ish and, Yeah, yeah, very much.
0: And uh I, I I thought about it because in the book or in the show they they call them uh call it the Two Rivers. I thought TR5, but that just doesn't have the same ring to it. But then I thought Two Rivers Crew. Mm.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: So EF5 I'm or two, taking crew.
4: The two live Crew. Uh logos and rebranding as the Two Rivers Crew.
5: Exactly. As clean as they want to be. So, yeah. When you said that, it made me. I mean, connecting to the MC5, that's good. It made me think of Enid Blyton's famous five, which is yeah. <laughs> and there is, and I realise there is actually a kind. It kind of works because you've got um, what's his name. Um, because the uh,
0: you, you can think of this.
5: You got yeah. It. You got it. You got it. You got it. I got it. Um, Perrin is Timmy uh. the dog. <laughs> right? Okay, okay. It, I, I, it'll, yeah. This will work for your British audience anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I, I understand what it's like to tell a joke that nobody else gets. Don't worry about it.
4: There, there are a few listeners
0: out there that are laughing yeah. right now.
3: Yes, and I grew up on it as well, so yeah. Completely. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so... Did you um, ever
3: see the... Um,
5: um the comic strip presents adaptation satire of it from the early 80s no no you know um rick Mail and adrian edmondson yeah. right so the comic strip presents was them and other people who are in the young ones and such so five go mad in dorset and then five go mad on mescaline <laughs> um so yeah, so I'm kind of now got the I now have this vision of our five main characters as Rick Mail, Adrian Edmonds. Yep, you've got that, um, you've put that in George, my head
3: now as well. Thank you. George
5: French and Jennifer Saunders. <laughs> <laughs> okay, You're I'm gonna very have
0: welcome. to go I'm gonna have to go look into this now so I can get, get in on the joke, but uh, it, it,
5: yeah. yeah.
4: I might have to have some mescaline too when I uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, uh, so diving in on this, uh, randomly, I'm going to select somebody from the screen. Uh, let's go with you, David. Uh, which character do you want to dive in on first? Lan. Lan. That's that's not not surprising coming from you. <laughs> Didn't think. All it right. Would be. So, uh, Lan. Uh, we've got uh, his full name, Al Lan Mandragoran, uh, with the honorific Gaidine, because he is a warder, uh, being played by Daniel Henny um and outside of wheel of time he is best known for his role in criminal minds um he's been in he he was one of the main cast in criminal minds for years and years uh he's been in a lot of other things um including uh like x-men wolverine origins and and things like that usually playing kind of more of a background character but uh yeah he's he's uh uh that that's that's our lan our daniel henny
4: well hey we at least have something that something good came out of x-men of uh wolverine origins <laughs> yes something good came out of
0: it. <laughs> I'm sorry you were about to say something but...
3: I was just saying we'll forgive him for that <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and now just joining us it's greg hello there
1: hi greg
0: hello what I miss? Well, apparently Samaria likes you and nobody else does. <laughs> That's good. I like her too. The rest of you bet. bad. So we were just uh, just starting in on discussing our characters here, and uh, David chose our first character, which was Lan. Uh, we talked about Daniel Henny a little bit, and... Uh, I was just getting to the point where I was going to ask the crew, uh, what what do we know about Lan as a character? What let's I, I just want to open the floor to your thoughts and, and see what we know about him so far.
2: Well, he comes Royalty. from royal blood. Yeah. yep, yep. So he's educated and trained that way early on. Um. I will say that with royalty,
4: you kind of can go two directions. You can have the person who is royal and like seems to deserve the respect that a royal person gets, and a royal who clearly does not deserve it and is only respected because they're a royal. And the fact that he, I don't think it's because he lost his kingdom, but uh, he is clearly somebody who has that nobility that we automatically attribute to royalty, even those that don't deserve it right
1: i mean to that end him losing royalty could have gone one of two ways he could have been very angry about it and i mean in kind of a backwards way been very entitled like oh i'm royalty look what they've done they took away you know my title my inheritances you know my rights i put rights in quotes and, you know, now I have to live like this, where this is kind of with, you know, the plebes in the mud, or, you know, he can take that and I guess be constructive about it, build a life without it, take whatever lessons he learned from being royalty and apply it. And so he's clearly someone who has dedicated his life to service and treats that as just as noble and high a calling as someone who had been served his entire life. And so I don't know if he was raised that way, or if losing, um, losing his kingdom, losing his home, his family, has taught him, you know, to be in service of others. But he's learned that lesson one way or another, and it's, you know, been really good for him.
0: Yeah, uh, D.W.
4: I completely agree. It's a fascinating choice to have somebody who not just built their own life, but specifically went into a, a role of servitude, a role of support for these uh, powerful uh, sorcerers that they know. And he chose to become somebody who supports them. And that's that to me is fascinating character choice.
0: Yeah. Um, I just want to uh, clarify a little information for you guys there. Um, Lan, when he lost his kingdom, he was an infant. Um, when Malkyr was swallowed by the Blight, he was an infant. Oh. He, was, he was spirited okay. out as an infant by, by uh, uh, a few of his father's warriors. Um, so he, he never really knew Malkyr. Interesting.
6: Um,
0: he, he is the king of a lost kingdom that he never knew.
6: Interesting. Um, okay. he, he
0: was raised in Shinar, and he was raised as though he was royalty, because he was. And, they, and the people of Shinar recognized him as royalty, even though he no longer had, it, had a, a home. So, so he
4: got the treating and upbringing of the royalty without the land ownership and, uh, and specific kingdom itself. But there was somebody that still gave him some of that training, some of that knowledge.
0: Yes, yes, okay. very
4: much so. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I was I want just to thinking. Just it's.
3: Add a point about um, the type of royalty, Ruach, correct me if I'm wrong, and also mute me if I say too much. But oh, no, I think you're... with the with the borderlands, including Malkia, that's no longer there. The way their honor code, to me, feels very much that no matter where you are in the hierarchy it's all about serving the many. So whether you're the king or you're the steward, the, you know, the entire way of being is very much looking after the collective and they are the first line of defense against the shadow. And so the way that I feel it comes across in the show, but I, you know, without giving too much about in, in the books as well, there is the, the privilege of being royalty but really, when, when they're fighting, everyone's the same, yeah. you know, and it's about the skill and it's about.
0: Well, it, it's I've always thought the Borderlands very much based off of like Bushido culture, which, right. you know, you do have royalty, but the royalty is expected to fight kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, because of that, that is, I think, why they they took in as one of their own. And, you know, it's, it's part of that same culture, culture of honor and obligation. And
3: yeah. Yeah, and, and you'd find, you know, the king being a king, but also, you know, looking after his horse, because that's the way they're taught, to just yeah. do everything.
7: Right, so it's a... It, you know, the, the king is very much not above the subjects, but is just expected to be one of the people.
4: That's yeah, it's one of the roles, not necessarily a hierarchy.
0: Right. Yeah. Very much so. Um. Yeah. Um. I think you guys kind of uh uh nailed his his background and, and his character there quite a bit. Um. Where do we think Lan is going? What, what 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 is what are Lan's motivations? Why is he with Moraine? What's what's he? What's he trying to see this through to? What's where do you think Lan's story is going?
7: It's a good question because he's got the new uh addition. Of having uh, someone else that he cares for out in the world, so it's not just Moraine. So, I, I don't know that 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 makes it interesting. He's got this this romantic attachment now. Well,
4: and, and not just that he has uh, the new attachment. The old detachment is specifically left him behind and is trying to. So I think, especially from what we know from the obligations, he feels, I think he is going to go try and find her. That's true. I don't I don't think he agrees with the fact that she went off on her own. And I think he's going to go do what he signed up to do, even at the sacrifice of anything that might be important to him emotionally. I feel that he's the type that's going to go with the obligation and the commitment that he made.
7: Yeah. Well, he's already tracking them through the blight to get to Moraine. So yep. they will find her at the end. They, yep. yeah, that's true. He does. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's true.
4: Yeah. Yeah. i would forgotten that.
1: I think a really interesting layer of that is that he did go after Moraine. He did find her, but they, their bond is blocked. So, I mean, I don't think that would affect how Lan, you know, treats Moraine, how he feels about her, his commitment to her, um, his oath to her, but it does, like, kind of complicate things where they don't have that access to each other anymore. And I know I, I understand that this is different in the books, um, yeah. so... I, I mean, Rock's looking at me like, hmm, but um, no, no. in the um,
0: <laughs>
7: you know, in the show,
1: it's a good question. Where what, what does he do with that? You know,
0: no, um, I, I I can tell you the that this little storyline of Moraine being blocked and Lan not being able to feel her that is not something from the books. This is something they've added for the show. So, I'm I'm just as interested in what you're saying as as anything else because I don't know what's happening in the in this situation.
3: Right, and actually Samaria what you just said is pretty much what Rafe said that's the direction that you know he wanted to take Moraine and Lan in the show is that when you've been you know psychically linked to somebody for 20 years and then you lose that what ramifications does it have for your relationship Mm -hmm. that you now are looking to visual cues and looking to see you know What's she thinking? Oh, I can't feel it. So now I have to look at her and try and figure it out. I think it's, that's going to be a fascinating um, exploration of the story.
0: Yeah. Uh, David, real David. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I actually get the sense that we're going to get this kind of, not love triangle, but a, a duty triangle with Lan, where he's going to have this uh, conflict between his duty to Moraine and his duty to his self and the new love that he's found. And how those two things are going to conflict with one another or marry with one another or you know create strangeness in his life going forward
4: yeah. or is he possibly going to go back and like encourage her to become an Aes Sedai so that he can be her warder?
0: Oh, interesting
7: yeah uh, I, I, I don't know if that would be if that would be the case, but the the real study there is seeing what happens when a warder loses the link through the physical death of their eyes to die. How different is that going to be whenever he's got, you know, she's still alive, she's still there, but he doesn't have that psychic link. That's yeah. going to be a weird type of grief.
0: Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. That's, that's, yeah. It that was a, a strange kind of grief that he's going to have to
5: deal with. It could also lead to some really like it could create a conflict, right, where there wouldn't be one before because now they're making assumptions about each other's expected behavior, rather than knowing it. They could make bad assumption. They could make bad assumptions, right? And like you know, uh, and, and disagreements and arguments flare up and and. Well,
4: especially on on your point, especially now that they're kind of growing in different directions. Mm -hmm. So, what might have been their motivation or feeling before on a certain circumstance, they might not have that same feeling in the present. Yeah, but you always felt that way when this was what the situation
1: was. And now they don't know. So, like, they don't automatically understand Mm -hmm. that the other's motivations and emotions are shifting. And so, whereas from the outset of that, they can notice that. Talk through it, work through it, figure out how you know to go forward with that in a way that works for them both. Um, now you know they're like everybody else where they have that delay, whether mm. you know that's a few hours or you know years, and yeah. like, well, one that's really traumatizing. Actually, if you're used to just knowing someone, it, like even better than you know yeah. yourself, um, but you know it's like it's. It's unsettling. I don't quite know how to articulate. I can't find the word I want for it. But, you know, that the way that will just rock and shake their relationship, even if, even if it's nothing, you know, bad or negative or wrong. Um, well, I don't really envy them, honestly.
7: Yeah, yeah. It kind of feels like the sort of uh, setup for, you know, a more typical show, like, you know, the divorce of a couple. This is coming up. You know, there's this big breakup is coming because they just don't know each other anymore. So they could play with that for a while. And then if they get the psychic bond uh, replaced, then it'll be awkward, as all hell. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I wonder if that pushes him more towards naive because those romantic relationships tend to give you that bond where you understand the person. More clearly, and maybe he will be seeking that type of bond, where he doesn't have it magically anymore.
7: That's true. That's true.
2: And I just had a thought in my in my comment earlier about him potentially
4: like going back, encouraging Nynaeve to become an Sedai, becoming her warder, playing that out in my head as like thinking stories. It offers the option that if if Moraine ever becomes no longer blocked magic, is he then connected to both? In a way oh. that could create, uh, playing out stories. I don't know that any of this is going to happen. Oh, just oh, looking oh, at this from like how Holly you're saying what? What stories?
0: if instead of like a green sister with multiple warder, he's a multiple a warder with multiple sisters? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, and like it, unintentionally, just suddenly
4: it's like, oh no, he still has the connection to Moraine now that she's connected to the source again.
0: Well, that's a, a rather interesting <laughs> situation that I, uh, huh.
7: Yeah, you think madness comes from men touching the one source. Imagine being connected to two women uh, (laughs) or to two people just in general. The the conflicting voices in the head. Oh, boy.
1: Who barely get along as it is. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
7: (laughs) That's like a sitcom. I've got
1: got two people living in my
7: head who hate each other.
4: Great. (laughs) Great. Or or mediating so, a conversation between two people that don't like each other and you're psychically connected to both. Oh, oh
2: no. Oh
0: so, so so we're setting up a new sitcom where Lan and Moraine and, and Nynaeve all move into an apartment in New York together. Yes, here for it. Okay. And yeah. Mr.
4: Roper needs to be involved. Yes. <laughs>
0: then... so that would be old Sanbuy playing Mr. Roper. <laughs> and the regal beagle is just another tavern <laughs> <laughs> and samaria has no idea what I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i'll catch up also <laughs> me <Yeah.
1: laughs>
5: <sighs> uh, okay um, the, the, it was a sitcom in the uk in the 70s i guess so a little bit before your time yeah. Well, Three's there, company. yeah, there was an American
7: version as well. Three's yeah. Company was the American.
5: Yep. Version. Same uh, name in both, uh, and a spin-off called George and Mildred, if I remember rightly. I've heard uh, We, them we from, had the Ropers
3: I watch them. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably going to cut all of that out, but
7: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? We can't relive our memories of Jeffrey Tambor dancing
0: with the plunger in the opening credits. Of the <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Okay, now you're going way too deep for even me on on (laughs) shit like that. All right.
4: Suzanne Summers got her start on that show. Yes.
0: Um, Does um, anybody else have something to say about Lan before I move it on to Maureen? I
3: have two things. So I wanted to come back to what Samari had said. It just made me think about this new relationship. Maureen's not a great communicator at the best of times, right? So we see that in the show. So now the one person that has always known her, she's never even had to make an effort to communicate because it's it's he knows. I I really like what Greg said about it's kind of like this divorce situation, right? Where you've known somebody so intimately, something's happened along the along the way. There's either been a traumatic event or you've just drawn, you know, kind of grown apart. And now you're you're in couples counselling. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And you're trying and you're trying to communicate with them and then you're realizing, you know, maybe Lan will now realize, you know, God Moraine, you, you're really rubbish at communication. Like you need to <laughs> speak to me, use your words, tell me what you're thinking or you want. So I think that's gonna be really interesting. But I had a, I have a question about something I have lots of thoughts about, but I wanna hear what everyone else thinks. What do you make of that final scene between Lan and Nynaeve? Before he goes off to find Moraine and Rand, mm. uh,
0: why don't you remind us what that scene was?
3: Okay, so when um, she tells him the tell that she knows about Moraine, so that he can therefore track her—that
0: that she eats sunflower seeds.
3: Yeah. It's, anyway, annoying. Yeah. Um, but and then basically, Nynaeve basically rips her chest open, rips her heart out hands it to him on a platter and he's like oh yeah the guy that gets your heart's going to be really lucky what do we think about that scene mm
4: that retelling is brilliant. I like it that much.
3: <laughs> Did I give away how I felt about it? <laughs> Maybe.
4: Well, for, no. As you just were a bit, telling it, you talked about her ripping her chest open. I'm like, okay, metaphor. I don't remember like opening her shirt or something like that. And so, and it took me a moment to realize you were going metaphorical. <laughs> we're
7: we're too used to watching things like The Boys, where people will literally rip their chest <laughs> yeah. open. That, that's that's yeah, yeah,
4: that. that is true too. That is true.
7: Yeah, that's Um, that's interesting because it shows that he's just not sure, not sure where that's going to go with
5: uh... not necessarily. It could also be that he doesn't want to he's going away. He doesn't know when he's coming back. He doesn't know if he's coming back. So he doesn't want to leave her hanging. So he's pushing her away. He may, you know, that may be all be for him, you know. To protect him and her emotionally.
7: That's true because because that was before he discovered that he didn't have the link with Moraine.
2: Yeah, I read it as expecting to go to the Eye of the World, giving her the option. Everybody but the dragon Mm -hmm. will die. Right.
1: Yeah.
3: That
7: too. That too. Yeah.
3: So you you may remember when we did the uh, when we talked about uh, masculine toxic masculinity and emasculation, the conversation that we had previously, and I said that I think lan is a great character. He's a great warder. He's a great king without a crown. but He's such a dumbass when it comes to romance. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I yeah. think, you know, it's deliberate as well because nobody's, not any per- character is perfect and this is his flaw, right? Yeah. And that scene in the books, the, the, um, the lines are kind of lifted from the book. So in the book, it happens like in a, in a different context, but it's, it's the same thing that happens. Yeah. And for Nynaeve, who is this very guarded, you know, person, has her own armour. She does literally give him her heart. You know, she said, I never thought I was going to marry, but things have changed for me. And now I feel like, you know, there's a different future for me. And here's my heart. And he's just like, oh, you know, the man that makes, I'll, I'll hate the man who makes you laugh and love him yada yada oh anyway i can't really articulate how much it annoys me but
2: uh yeah (laughs) but we also we've
4: talked in our talking about his character how sacrificial and servant servitude is his you know motivation that in this moment i think he's sacrificing his own happiness and trying to plant the idea in her head that your happiness will come from somewhere i'm going to be miserable that you're going to be with somebody who makes you happy
3: yeah, and but you know I, what really I, annoys sending, me is that he's no, no, telling not her. Right. He's telling her what her future is going to be. He's not saying, "I'm sorry, I can't do this." He's saying, "Oh no, you're going to find a man who's going to make you really happy, and I'm going to hate him." That is what really bothers me. I've just that's come to me. That's <laughs> what annoys me.
4: Well, <laughs> he's, I think. he's not handling it well yes well, no, I, I think
0: we should point out uh simon you can back me up on this uh the land that we see in the show is like a million times more expressive than the land oh the yeah books. okay so yeah I, I mean him not not doing the right thing when it comes to interpersonal relationships is not surprising in, in and i am
3: totally state. projecting book land onto Sholan as well so yeah <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah Sholan. i like love Lan. I, I just want to say i love Lan.
3: But there's so many. Anytime it's got to do with romance, I just want to pummel the hell out of him.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. David, you have something? I was just going to say it makes sense that he would think that his version of the future would be what exactly happens because that um, confidence is totally Lan. He's really confident in himself.
0: Well, I mean, his since he, he was young, he has had this notion that he is going to die in the blight he is going to die fighting the blight trying to regain melkir and you know he knows that he is a warrior who is destined to die on the battlefield and that's part of why he just does not want that romantic entanglement he does not want to put anybody else through that Hmm. which you know is, is kind of this like whole sacrifice for honor kind of idea which you know we all know is just kind of toxically masculine bullshit but it it's it's where that is coming from in him
4: and and getting that but i I think what i'm noting is the fact that yes that all all the saxophone where i find the big mistake made is if you're going to be the type who makes those decisions then you shouldn't have opened yourself up to her in that way
0: yeah so yeah. if,
4: if that was the choice where he has made this decision, then he never should have been with Nynaeve. Then she wouldn't have felt a need to open her heart to him. Like that's, that's where I'm seeing the mistake happened in him. If, if this is the life he's chosen and he, he had this moment where he let her in and then he needs to push her back out. Whereas if he never let her in, it wouldn't
2: have been that problem. Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. That's him being bad at romance again, though. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. As someone who completely stumbles all over himself in that area, I can see that happening very easily. It's a
3: slight endearing perspective. I mean, you know, I want to kind of like tone down my, uh, it's kind of endearing. He's like, he's just really kind of pathetic in this area. And it's kind of, it's not great, but he's trying his best. and, And also just to that point as well, what I really liked with the show is that they do show him having a physical relationship with Nynaeve and that's also her choice, right? Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. the fact that, you know, he's been bonded to Moraine doesn't mean he's not he's not had relationships or he's not had, you know, I don't know, flings, one night stands or, or whatever. Right, flings, yeah. right? And just because Nynaeve's not got married and had children, we don't know in the show what her background is. I'm assuming that, you know, she's had her own relationships. So there is a kind of, meeting of equals and deciding we might die tomorrow or whatever or whenever you know and we're choosing to spend our night together it was mm-hmm. just that one scene in the way yeah. he tells her
7: it's a meeting of equals who are equally bad at this whole romance thing just because they haven't had the experience you know yeah. it doesn't seem like either of them has been in a relationship before
0: that's that's a like very a
7: romantic relationship long-term romantic relationship
0: yeah yeah that's a very valid valid view of of that i hadn't even thought of that
7: yeah they're just they're just they're so badass at so many things but when it comes to love
6: yeah they're tripping
7: over their own feet just like everybody else
6: hi i'm dr pengalod what seems to be ailing you today
0: Doc, it's the strangest thing. Every night after I've gone to bed, just as I start to drift off, I start yelling out strange words like Shire, Frodo, and Gollum.
5: Last night I even yelled Mordor. I really don't know what to do.
6: Ah, yes. I've been seeing this a lot lately. What you're experiencing is called Tolkien in your sleep. It's caused by an acute Lord of the Rings deficiency.
5: Tolkien in my sleep?
0: Oh no, that sounds serious.
6: Don't worry, don't worry. It's really common right now. It can be treated with a very simple prescription. Here, take this. It's called Watch Party, Lord of the Rings.
5: Watch Party, Lord of the Rings?
6: It's a great podcast where they talk about everything related to Lord of the Rings. They go deep into the lore, talk about the film trilogy, old cartoon adaptations, and Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. Listen to it once a week and you'll stop Tolkien in your sleep in no time. Side effects of Watch Party Lord of the Rings may include happiness, giggling, merrymaking, jellification, woody banter, inner peace, enlightenment, and excessive Tolkien while awake. Caution, Watch Party Lord of the Rings may be addictive.
0: I think we, we've we kind of covered Lan pretty in-depth there. Uh, now, I, let's move on from Lan and pick another character, and I think we should spider out from Lan. We've got uh, two, two ways we can spider out from that discussion there. We've got Moraine and we've got Nynaeve. Uh, who, who do we want to go with? Uh, Samaria.
1: Oh, Lord. Um, all right, let's do clearly my twin, Nynaeve.
0: All right, Nynaeve. Uh, Nynaeve Almira, played by Zoe Robbins. Um, Zoe is v- well known before Wheel of Time for playing the White Ninja Steel Power Ranger. Cool. Um, if, if any of you are Power Rangers fans, um, she is from uh, um, New Zealand. Anyway, uh, Zoe Robbins, yeah, uh, this is really her her breakthrough role, as it is for a lot of these, these actors. And she's um, killing it. Yeah, and she is absolutely killing it. Um, and her character, Nynaeve Almira, uh, who is the daughter of Master Almira and Elnor Almira. Uh, we never in the books get her father's name. He is just known as Master Almira. Is master
4: like mister, or is master a title? Is there, No,
0: is no there master's like mister. Okay. Like master okay. and mistress Alvire I just wasn't be... making
4: sure it was like sensei. You yeah, know, yeah, she's no, she's no. descended from this major, okay, interesting. Ma-
0: master and mistress are the the mister and missus of this world. Copy that. Um, and uh, yeah, um, so her father ta- taught her her tracking and her hunting, and uh, she grew up on a farm that raised sheep and tobacco. Um, like many of the-, the people in the two rivers. Uh, she was orphaned at a young age uh, and and had no immediate family in the vicinity. And so she was raised by Doral Barron, who was the wisdom of Emmons Field at the time. And that's how she became a wisdom's apprentice at the age of 12.
4: Do do we have any supposition that it was like Trollocs that orphaned her or do we just not know anything? Uh, we,
0: we have no information as to what, what situation orphaned her. Copy that. Um, so with that background on Nynaeve Almira, I'm going to open the floor. What, what do we know about Nynaeve? What, what's what, what's her motivation? What's her, her, what's her deep character flaw? What's her secrets? Let, let's, let's break her open here.
1: Hmm. I've been assuming have, okay. I, I feel like I do have something to back this up, but I've been assuming <laughs> that she was orphaned, whatever it was. It directly has to do with the White Tower and or Aes Sedai. Um, hmm. I like I don't think her antagonism toward Aes Sedai and the White Tower comes from nowhere, especially because she's always, you know, referencing um her childhood and being orphaned in connection to it. Now, what that looks like i have no idea maybe i'll never find out but that's that's what i've been running on this entire time um no, yeah
7: i've I've kind of pulled that she's gotten that uh that antagonism toward the Aes Sedai from the wisdom who raised her hmm. like the wisdom had some issue with the Aes Sedai and it just sort of like you know it could be just that you know that Small town,
0: provincial, ah, them big city, you know. Yeah. Them, them ivory tower intellectuals. Right. Exactly. Literally. What was her
4: story yeah. about, about the person who went and was turned away? I thought that was her, wis- the previous wisdom.
0: That was the previous wisdom. Yeah, yeah, so the
4: previous wisdom has a yeah. story in the, uh, like, that we've been given of why she despises the Aes Sedai. Right. Yeah. So it does, but I'm not necessarily, uh, I, I don't think it only came from. Uh, the previous wisdom, I think Samaria is onto something with that.
7: Could be, could be. Um, you know, I just, I just assumed that, you know, she's been raised from such a young age with this mindset. So it's a local provincial mindset that could change as experience goes on. You know, just like everybody that leaves a small town has a few bubbles burst about previous prejudices they've had. You know she could eventually wind up trusting it once she kind of sees a little bit more of what it actually is much less, you know, or as opposed to what she's been hearing from people with yeah. obvious biases.
1: You know, I think you're onto something though, because, um, there, there has been historically just a lot of conflict between institutional knowledge, especially when it comes to something. Like, I mean, in this universe, it would be the source versus um, local knowledge, indigenous knowledge, homegrown knowledge. Yeah. And so, you know, being suspicious of knowledge that comes from, you know, the establishment, I think, is Perfectly legitimate, especially if you grow up and you know you have the same access, you have the same power, but you relate to it differently, you're taught about it differently, um, it has different, you know, cultural and social meanings and uses. Mm-hmm. And if you know, a big part of becoming an Aes Sedai is removing yourself from that and assimilating to um, a literal ivory tower. Um, Mm -hmm. like that erasure, um, you know, having to do away with, you know, what you've grown up with, what you've been taught about your abilities, about the source, um, about the ways you use it in favor of what's considered a higher superior source of knowledge. Um, like I wouldn't blame, you know, someone like Nynaeve or, you know, her mentor for being highly suspicious about that um you know we saw it i I have to
0: say that everything that you're saying is is blowing my mind right now because i had never considered this as like a colonizer doing the the cultural erasure could be part of 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 that issue and and that's Mm -hmm. you're hitting it right on the head you're right I can see that that could be a very large part of the issue you know well my
1: background is in reproductive health reproductive justice and that is huge in um in those circles where you know you and there are multiple histories of this um Mm -hmm. and you know like as a black person like like my grandparents' generation, you know, they, they were born at home. So very rarely, especially, you know, in the South were, you know, lower income, rural black people born in hospitals. That was just not happening. So, you know, you had, you know, your local grannies, your midwives who would go around and birth, um, you know, help, you know, mothers birth their children. And, you know, you didn't have a birth certificate. You weren't really registered with the government. You just kind of popped into existence. And people just, they're like, yes, of course, that is, that is the, you know, the new, you know, Annie Jo. Um, And they belong to that family. Um, And, you know, the clash, you know, between that and, you know, institutionalized medicine coming in and eradicating that, you know, criminalizing it. And then the result of that being, you know, um, more black maternal deaths, a, you know, black infant mm. mortality rate, and it's done in the name of progress. You know, there's still remnants of that. There's still, you know, um, consequences of that, even if it's not necessarily known. People kind of intuitively sense it, and that, you know, I'm, I'm bringing that background into this conversation just for some context for our listeners.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's I I love you reframing it that way for me, because that's something that I have never thought of before in 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 for this specific uh, context. And yeah, that's absolutely could explain a lot of her, her hesitation and dislike of of the Aes Sedai. Uh, David, you have something to add.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that I think we have positive affirmation of that just with Suan's character shown on the show. I mean, the only time we see her practicing her knots and doing the things that she would do in tier is in her little magical getaway. When we go to her chambers, you don't see nets there. You don't see her practicing her knots and she's relaxing in her chambers. So it's very possible that she has to do that in her own little getaway away from everybody else because that part of her culture has been erased as well interesting uh saima
3: yeah i so samaria what you've said it has really blown my mind but i can't say anything because spoilers but um <laughs> li- <laughs> listeners I, I hope listeners are uh, book readers their minds are pinging uh, yes. the way mine oh, is oh.
0: yeah i i think that's part of why my mind is so blown right now because i am thinking too much further afield than than what what uh our panel has seen so far and and it is echoing all over the place and yeah it's you you just gave it's such a, a, it's such
3: a great framing you know of, yeah. of what samari has said it, it it does open up so much more yeah. and i for some reason i just i am i'm just assuming that the show is going to go more in that direction yeah. um I, I also wanted to bring up something uh there's a difference between Nynaeve's, um, upbringing from the books and the show. So in the books, there's this um, assumption that her mother died when she was much younger and her father taught her how to track. And for me, I had assumed that he passed away when he, she was in her teens, because I just assumed that, that the, the, the tracking and the teaching took her into maybe her early early teens. And then when he passes away, she then becomes the apprentice. Um, in the show, there. It's her story. Is that they, her parents both died when she was very young, and I think this is okay to say that we've Rafe has already said that we're going to find out more. So you know, DW, what you were saying about how do we know? You know, do we know what happened to her parents? We're gonna find. I think we're gonna find out. We're gonna find yeah. out more about her history. So that's gonna be really yeah. interesting.
0: And if we do find out something about her parents in the show that is not something from the books, so yeah. that'll be hmm. that'll be entirely new ground for all of us.
3: Yeah. And it's really interesting that they're, they're deciding to focus on this. So when yeah. DW said that about, you know, do we know if it was Trolloc related? I'm like, oh,
0: well, one that thing that I've noticed that, that, that I've been figuring out from from uh, just kind of thinking about the, the show and how it's been bouncing around the book stuff is a lot of the stuff in the show is is either stuff that happened in the book, but is mentioned about happening off page or is happening near a place in the book. And, and it's, it, it's like Rafe was looking for things in the book that he could use that are canon, but aren't described directly in the book because then he doesn't have to try to live up to that book scene directly. Well, and, and I, would and, also and I think th- it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. yeah.
4: I, I would also, I would add to that, that I think that they he also must've looked at the books and found things that weren't, mentioned or weren't covered and went, okay, so this is something I can play with to help me tell this part of the story later is I can use this aspect that nobody from the books can say, well, that's not how it happened in the books.
0: Yeah, exactly. Since it
4: wasn't covered, it's now a playground that I can put a little bit in here to help support a part of the story because I can't put this whole scene in. So instead of doing this whole portion of the book, I don't have the time for, I can take this portion that was not really discussed and add a little bit here that then defines the character.
0: Yeah, very much so.
3: When you're condensing 15 books, there's so much material. And then he has Harriet as executive producer. So she knows everything that Jordan didn't write, right? Yeah. So all the backstories for every single of the thousands of characters. Harriet has all that knowledge. So to me, I think like even if it's not in the book, doesn't mean it couldn't have been in the book. Yeah. doesn't mean there was oh, a yeah. note somewhere because harrier is the walking encyclopedia
2: absolutely yeah. we're possibly looking at what could be a master class in direct adaptation for future people yeah. trying to adapt adaptate a media that has so much lore to it
0: yeah um I'm going to steer this back into to our main topic. Uh, we were talking about Nynaeve. Why? Um, because
4: we're 45 minutes in, and we've only covered two of the seven people we were going to? Yeah, that, Is that, that why you're that, trying that, to start that, start that? would be about bad. where we're, yeah.
0: Um, uh, smell a two-parter. Yeah, I'm smelling a two-parter as well. Uh, <laughs> so uh, any more thoughts about Nynaeve, her her character? What, what like, explain her character to me. What, 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 I, I would like to hear how you see her character. I see her as somebody who has a, a
7: view of the world that she is, at the beginning, absolutely certain of. But as things progress, she's, she's opening her mind a little bit. She's got uh, new thoughts on things that she's always, quote-unquote, known. You know, she's actually experiencing some growth by leaving the small town and, you know... Having travel broadened her mind.
1: And she's not comfortable yeah. with that.
7: No, she's not. No, Which she I think is, is a,
1: a lot of the reason why she's so angry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it, you know, she she's very loyal, but I think more than loyal, she's very defensive and protective about what she sees as hers. And that gives like she has a very strong need to be secure and have her roots down in one specific place. And she had chosen two rivers, she had chosen her people and she was like this is all I need in life. This is great. And then it gets absolutely wrecked. Just, right. you know, totally obliterated foundation, crumbled, it's gone. And so she still has her people but not in the way she expected to have it and then she has these interlopers, you know, Moraine coming in and land, but oh wait I like land, so you know that complicates things too and <laughs> you know trying to figure out a way to adapt to her new circumstances but still have things as you know as close to how she wanted it originally as possible you know is poor thing is really doing her in um and I can relate I I can't <laughs> um which is why she frustrates me so much. Cause I'm just like, girl, if you let go, it'll, it'll work itself out. Um, But that's one of those lessons you can only learn while you're learning it. So, right.
0: So, so spinning off of that, I want to, want to explore with you. What do we think the reason is that she left the two rivers and, and followed the rest of the crew? What, 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 what do we feel her reasoning is for that?
5: because they're, they're, they're the youngsters of the village and they've gone off with this crazy Aes Sedai who no doubt is planning to kill them and like her job's to protect them. That's You have a point.
7: When she outside, first showed up uh, outside Shuttle Goth, it wasn't a, hey, good to see us. Where are they? You know, she went in a full Batman yeah.
5: voice. Yeah, full mama bear <laughs> at that point, yeah. <laughs> And, and she blamed Moraine Mar- for bringing the Trollocs. Right. Yeah. Right, like her entire thing is that those, like Moraine is not to be trusted. Moraine was a villain to her at the beginning. So... Uh, DW.
4: Well, I also, like looking at archetypes and in storytelling, one of the things, one of the aspects I feel that they gave her that is part of her confidence and part of her um, leadership is she strikes me as a natural. So I don't think her father had to spend a lot of time teaching her how to track. Yeah, I don't think she had to spend a lot of time studying with the, the um, uh, former wisdom. I think she picks things up really, really quickly. And that is why we saw such a powerful moment of her using the source is because, again, once again, she's a natural at it. Nobody trained her, but she not only used it, but used it such a way that some people thought she might be the Dragon Reborn. Like mm-hmm. She has that, which is an aspect of, of character that can make somebody very confident. When I pick up something and, boom, I can do it, guess what? I know I can also pick up that and do it really well. And I'm probably a better Aes Sedai than you would be. And I'm probably like, she has that moment, I mean, that motivation behind her that also when, when Moraine comes in and, and thinks that she knows what's best for these, no, she, uh, uh, Nynaeve knows what's best for these five. And if it does have something to do with the Dragon Reborn, she needs to be there because Moraine's going to make the wrong choice at, at some point. And Nynaeve needs to be there to make the right one. That's her, I, I believe that's the mindset I'm picking up. Interesting.
0: Yeah,
7: uh, which is really interesting because when she runs into something that she's not going to be able to do right away... That's going to be uh, that's going to be gonna a frustrate new...
4: the living daylights out. Yeah,
7: that's going to be a hell of a hell of an experience. You know, I, yeah. as a father, I see this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have experienced this and it's it's a big meltdown and it's not necessarily a fun time. So,
0: woo, that'd be fun. David, you have something to add.
2: Yeah, going back to your question about her motivation for following the rest of them. I'm wondering if that maybe has something to do with the fact that all five of them are Tavirin and that possibly the other four are having an effect on her and her life as Tavirin, or that maybe even uh-huh. the effect of Tavirin is kind of cumulative in that they attract each other when they exist in, at the same time.
0: Mm. Oh, interesting. Um, I, I, I feel like this is the point where I should probably point out a major difference between the books and the show. Um, and that major difference is in the books, uh, there are only three Taviran and they are the boys. Um, the, the girls are listed as not Taviran. Um, they changed that for the show. Um, I think they rightly changed it for the show, especially in Egwene's case, um, not to say anything that happens in the future but there are some moments that are very Tavirani that it's that that is the only plausible explanation for um Nynaeve on the other hand I I I do think that that uh everything Nynaeve does is just because she's that stubborn um she she will will the pattern to do what she wants god damn it
3: Uh, and it will do it
0: Yes, and it has nothing to do with being Taviran. It has everything to do with being naive. Um, well, because
4: she's a natural weaver of the. Path. Yeah. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> um. But yeah, I uh just uh, you bringing up that the Taviran nature right there, I did want to bring that that information out. Um, not that it's important to the show, but yeah, in the books, uh, Nynaeve and Egwene were not Taviran.
4: Well. I don't have the books to go off of, but uh, I think it's the right choice. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's absolutely. a more interesting story to have a team of people who all influence each other, and I think, like like Greg was saying, that that they're, they they could be drawn to each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like like Iron Filings. <laughs> I, I believe that was David that, that was saying that. I thought it was Greg yeah. that was saying it. I'm not
4: mixing up names
0: like somebody does. No, <laughs> no I thought it was no, like no. Greg just was talking about. That you. one was David. We, 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 okay. we shared a moment there
2: when yeah, you said okay. that. I, 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 I was not I, mixing I, I saw, up names. I saw the
0: glance back and forth, yeah. So uh, for those of you out there listening who can't tell the difference between uh, David and Greg, uh, yeah, obviously neither can we. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I'm going to start speaking started, with a Scottish they're starting accent. they dress
4: alike. Look, they're both wearing black today.
5: Yeah. If, you, if you're if going to start <laughs> speaking Ooh. with a Scottish accent, could you please speak with a Scottish accent?
0: Because that not <laughs>
4: <laughs> Both of you should start speaking with a Scottish accent and we won't be able to understand any of it if you, you do it really, you, really. You
0: have a point. <clears throat> Okay, so uh, back to Nynaeve. I think we've, we've, at this point, probably just about covered Nynaeve. Um, and I think the natural character to move on to from there would be Egwene. Um, just because, uh, yeah, the, that is the, the next character that, that Nynaeve seems to have the, the most connection with. Um, so uh, Egwene Alvier, uh, being played by Madeline Madden um she is uh, aboriginal australian and known for a supporting role in dora the explorer uh the movie and uh a, a wonderful movie i saw called picnic at hanging rock um i, I recommend that to everybody out there
7: wait 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 um, wait wait! was there a remake of it recently yes okay i hadn't i, had, I didn't know there was a remake because the original
0: was in the 60s I'm, i don't yeah. think she'd have been in that no, no she no, was no,
4: totally no. in it she was totally in it
0: um I, I was not aware that that was a remake, but yes, there is a, a new movie that came out recently called Picnic and Hanging. Gotcha, um, gotcha. And uh, yeah, that, that's uh, Madeline Madden, the, the actor behind Egwene Alvear. Uh, and Egwene herself, what do we know about Egwene?
4: Uncertain as to where her paths. So, again, looking at archetypes, there tends to be a character in books who has two very clear paths laid out. Sometimes more than two, but two very clear paths, and is bouncing between which they're gonna fall
7: up right
4: and I feel like with with this particular character, she had to then a third got presented, and she's still kind of bouncing between them there's there's she could marry and be happy that way she could become a wisdom and be happy that way or now is she possibly somebody who could be an nice Sedai and be happy that way like what is she gonna do and she seems to get confident about one choice and then confident about the next and then confident about the next and frustrated with people who try to make the decision for her
7: mm-hmm. oh nobody's making that decision for her but
4: yeah. there are people that are trying they're trying there are people they're... That are trying to influence it or you know, statements also. of well, you can't choose that because of this. Don't tell me what I can't choose,
5: and that creates conflict for her with the two people she's closest to because they both want her to make a decision,
4: and they both want her to make a different decision.
5: Yep,
7: right, yeah. Either decision she makes is going to really affect
0: someone else emotionally. So, yeah, very much so. And and how do you think that? The fact that other people's emotions are on the line affects her
5: and her decision making a big way because she's very empathetic. She cares mm-hmm. about people, um, yeah. and like Nynaeve cares about people a bit, kind of like their pets or children.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wayne cares about people like
5: they're her friends. Yeah, right. So, it, so Nynaeve, like Nynaeve's caring is. Not going to change any of her decisions, right? Right. Egwene's emotions have a huge impact on what she's going to decide to do, um, and likely as long as there is a conflict of, I don't want to piss off anybody, so I'm not going to make a decision. Is kind of where she's you know be stuck at until something
3: gives. Yeah, <laughs> um, Axel. I love that description that you've just given of yeah. the difference between Nynaeve and Egwene.
0: It yes, is- very much so. Mm-hmm.
3: Perfect.
1: Yeah, Egwene seems very conscious of her place in the web of people. Um, She's very conscious of, you know, how people and events affect her and in turn how she affects them. And, I, you know, Egwene seems unwilling, not necessarily to disturb the piece, um, but to, I guess, Do something and no longer have the option of changing her mind. Um, where, you know, the way she speaks to Rand, Moraine, and Nynaeve indicates that, you know, she's very much, you know, willing to, you know, go full throttle down something, but she still wants to be able to change her mind and do something else or have you know, it both ways. And I think that, you know, that conflict um, very much, you know, it slows her down. It makes her question, you know, herself, um, you know, maybe not the value in things, but, you know, the significance of it. Um, you know, she's like, okay, well, I would be very happy being an Aes Sedai but what does that mean you know for everything else and it's the everything else that you know makes her pause not you know like oh well you know it's not worth it to you know become an Aes Sedai because her it's absolutely worth it but you know it's it's that butt that just makes her mm, she's a Libra. It's
4: choice paralysis. <laughs> she's stuck in choice paralysis
7: yeah yeah everything yeah. is worthy every choice that she has available to her is is worthy to her so, so way and unlike a lot of like,
4: choices we're forced to deal with you can't choose to in this particular triad of choices i'll just take i'll sample from this and sample from this not an option
0: right it's mm-hmm.
4: Each Each one of the choices way. closes doors yeah sorry
0: so so what I'm picking up here that you're saying is that she wants to think her choices through completely and thoroughly and understand the outcome, understand the how it's going to affect not just her, but everybody else in the end and make her decisions accordingly.
5: Not just yeah, right, that. It, it may it also be heard. that she she Go doesn't with. want to make a decision that will upset somebody she cares about, so she is not going to decide. Her, the obvious character arc there is that she develops the self-confidence um, to make a decision for her. And then the people she cares about will follow will fall in line with that rather than her having to step back, which is very much because uh, her starting point is very stereotypical uh, feminine. In Anglo culture, right? It's very mm. much, she is subservient. She, her, her decisions have to be what is right for somebody else. And so, this is, so she should hopefully have a story of emancipation. Saima, you have something?
3: So I, um, I'm going to make a confession here, and I hope the show doesn't get hate mail. If anybody wants to talk to me, tag me in the group. Um, Ruach knows my least favorite character in the series, and a Gawain is a tie for, with them. Really? Yes, and I don't usually out myself (laughs) in this way because Egwene gets um, a lot of um, unnecessary dislike in the fandom and I have kind of my own reasons and I don't want to kind of add to that. But I'm saying it here because as soon as she came on screen in the show, I fell in love because I feel like Rafe has taken the best of a going from the books. And we already know we've spoken about a lot of things that have been stripped stripped away, including the toxic femininity Um and she's come through in all the ways that you've described, right? She leaves with her heart and she wants to she doesn't want anyone to be upset and she wants to she's really drawn to all these different paths and trying to make a decision uh, and doing good in the world. So I love that. And I and I'm also as as you're all talking, I hope we're gonna be able to have a conversation about the archetypes and maybe from the tarot card because of what Siobhan was saying about the the hanged man and the associations with Egwene. I think it's being covered so much in the conversation right now. So it's gonna be really interesting to explore.
0: I I am fascinated to hear more about that because that is a, a subject that I know next to nothing about. So yeah, I'm fascinated to hear that symbology, and hopefully we can put a put together a future episode about that. That mm. that would be awesome. So, uh, more more about Egwene, uh, about her background. What do we know? We know she's a an innkeeper's daughter, um, also the mayor's daughter. Yes, um, and uh, she she grew up helping to tend the inn. Uh, that's that's what you do when you're an innkeeper's daughter. You help tend the inn. Uh, so she was, you know, running beer and fluffing mattresses and. Doing those those types of chores for for most of her life, uh, very very almost a servant type role.
4: Um. Well, and, and seemingly the type of person who believes that that is her place. Because even in the when we were talking about decision making and stuff like that, she believes that that this is what she's supposed to do. And then she's looking for what is the next she's supposed to do. She's been given these tasks of her life, and now she's got three, and mm-hmm. I think before she hasn't had that problem because, well, I'm going to go tend the, you know, clean the, the tables off in the tavern because that's my job and that's the next thing I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to help other people achieve their thing because that's the next thing I'm supposed to do. But now it's things both for her and they conflict with each other. And I think that's, you know. Right. And so, that's not so
0: much the servant thing, more the service. Yeah, yeah yeah, and that kind of leans into something i have in my notes right here um that basically she is this universe's hermione and, um,
5: yeah,
0: yeah you know, she, she does what she's supposed to do and and you know she's very studious about it and she's quick to learn and quick to you know also turn around and teach what she has learned and you
1: know lord i do yeah, not like hermione. help others speaking of least favorite characters <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it. Instantly. Oh Samaria,
0: please, please do.
1: <laughs> um, oh, oh gosh. That kind of makes me glad I haven't met Book Egwene. Um, if that's the oh. case. Um <laughs> I think even with Egwene doing what she's supposed to do, we know she has an adventurous streak. She's a bit of a dreamer because we know her favorite book, and her favorite book. Um is one, it has a female main character, so we know that. And it's about this female main character going off and being a badass. And so despite Egwene, you know, being very homespun, you know, you know, being um the town's she, you know, the town's, you know, good girl, she still has an element. Surprise in her where if you give her the opportunity, she just might run away with it. And you know, we we've seen that in you know a very straightforward way. You know, she gets the opportunity to be a wisdom. She's like, Oh, now that sounds fun. I didn't consider that, I didn't know that was an option. You know, Moraine takes her aside and says, You would be a wonderful Aes Sedai, and she's like, Oh, I could be a wonderful Aes Sedai. Uh, you know, let me let me see what you know I can do with that. Let me go for it, maybe um and so while she you know if she's left to her own devices if she's planted somewhere and just kind of you know an object in motion that stays in motion um you know she she will be very you know content with that but you know you say hey look over here she will and you know i really like that
7: yeah now that she can start fires you know <laughs> she's she's got yet another little avenue available to her too Yeah.
0: Um, I I feel like I I should uh, correct you on something that I heard you say there. You said something about uh, her favorite book being about a a, a female adventurer. Um, I think that's you probably got that misconception because of the name Jane Farstrider. It's not J-A-N-E like the feminine Jane. It's Mm J-A-I-N, which is a masculine borderline. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
5: Well, Um, she still likes fun.
0: Yes. Yeah, so but, it's a uh, story
5: yeah. about about Alec Baldwin wearing a very silly hat. Yes, very much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not all of those end well.
4: I want <laughs> to go to the world where there's a book about me.
5: Right. I. Yeah. Th- this is clearly a crossover, right? <laughs> Wheel of Time crosses over with Serenity. It's, a, it's This is the Second Age, yeah. right? Is is when he came to town, and she liked it because it's a comedy about the misadventures of a bumbling idiot. <laughs>
0: Uh, there you go.
5: Okay. So, I, why we added to this. her character? I'm totally in for this.
7: <laughs> Do you say Adam Baldwin or Alec? Because I heard
0: Alec, and who was like, no, "Oh, Adam. that's a
7: different I've... thing entirely." Yeah, it's, I, it's I, a... I was
0: confused for a moment myself. I can't remember <laughs> which.
5: I know it's the worst Baldwin brother. <laughs> He's actually not a Baldwin brother. Yeah. Oh, one is he not? Prior he is not. Yeah. Oh, okay. A completely not... unrelated
0: Baldwin.
7: Oh, okay. Yes, still terrible, but not a not a not one of those Baldwins.
5: <laughs>
6: hmm.
0: So uh, anything else about Egwene? Uh, David, you had something.
2: Yeah, I was going to mention that her background working in the inn, I think, gives her a wide, broad perspective of opinions and views. You know, someone working the tables at the bar would be listening to the conversations going on. The outside visitors, when there are them, would have differing opinions. And I think it informs her ability to be a diplomat because i think we see in the show that she ends up being diplomatic between all of the people around her and yeah. kind of sitting back and waiting for everybody's opinions to come again that slow decision making and then she jumps in and says nope here's the opinion that everyone should follow because it satisfies as many happy people as possible
0: interesting uh dw you have something to say to that
4: I wanted to pose a question to the panel. Um, do you think, because we're, we're describing her as the dutiful daughter with that adventurous streak. And I'm curious if, she's, if you ever think that she may have been the rebellious daughter, do, do you think she ever had to be told twice to clear the tables? Do you think the, she ever didn't do what her father or mother told her to do? Or do you think she's the type that always did?
0: uh saima and i will refrain from answering this until everybody else answers uh but yeah oh, okay. the rest of you go ahead and answer. i
2: don't think so she might have spent a good amount of time thinking about whether she wanted to do it or not and that might have been misconstrued as rebelling but i don't think she openly rebels
1: i think she doesn't have to um right. which i think is a, a pretty distinct difference Like there are you know kids who rebel because you know well many you know many reasons and then you know there are kids who do what they're told for you know many reasons I think Egwene was probably given a lot of rope and her parents trusted her and her parents were like whatever she can get into you know get into and get up to can't possibly be that bad and you know Egwene you know maybe she didn't have to be told to clear the table twice, either because maybe that wasn't a concern or because, you know, her parents knew she would get to it eventually or because she just did it because, you know, the consequences of not doing that weren't really a consideration because, you know, she had, you know, so much freedom already that doing, you know, her chores first and getting that out of the way was, you know, a fair trade for being able to do pretty much whatever she wanted within, you know, age appropriate reason. Yeah.
7: yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, the, I don't, I don't think she needed to rebel mainly because she didn't need to, like, uh, like what I was just saying. But she, it's like she seems to have had a plan, and she seems to have understood that that plan fits within these certain parameters as the parameters change her plans or dreams or goals change as well so she's very pragmatic about things you know it's like you clean the tables because it's what you do it's your job if everybody did their job everything would be great so she's got that sort of Idealistic, not really idealistic, but you know, kind of a Protestant work work ethic thing. You know, where yeah. if things need to be done, you do them. Uh, if something else comes along, cool. She seems very, uh, kind of going with the flow to go with the uh, you know the metaphor of her being yeeted into the into the river in episode one, uh, <laughs> but she knows that. The, she trusts the flow. Yeah. She seems she does to, that. to trust that it's everything is moving toward where it needs to be.
2: I think she does that while she's making her decisions, making up her mind on what she actually wants to do. She's very willing to go with the flow and follow what everybody else is doing until that point where she decides this is the way I want to go. And then she's forceful about it
7: we haven't seen her come to that that point yet where she's actually going to make that that final choice you know we don't know what she's going to do next
0: so so saima uh, i think it's time for us to answer that question um did did Egwene <laughs> ever rebel growing up
7: Saima, are you okay? You, you're, this conversation is
3: killing me. It is. It, it really is. You look like uh, you just I, Did I do my trick back. of asking a magical I question cannot, that has I a lot of meaning t- to my, people who've read the books? My face is literally aching. My cheeks uh, <laughs> are aching. Don't hurt yourself,
1: Saima, Please.
0: Yeah. Now, now you know what I deal with. Um, <laughs> but uh, Saima, uh, what do you think? Did Did Gwaine ever rebel growing up?
3: Not only did she clean the table the first time round, she cleaned it cleaned it the best way possible. Nobody cleaned the tables as good as Egwene cleaned the tables.
0: Yeah, if you wanted to see what a clean table looks like, Egwene would show you.
1: Oh gosh, she's one of those <laughs> <laughs>
7: She's a Hermione yes when i said she's the hermione
0: she is 1000 percent the hermione she, like, there was never a bone of rebellion in, in Egwene growing up ever I, I mean it that wasn't necessarily written about but anybody who's read the books will say that no there was never a bone of rebellion in, in Egwene. and it might be for the reason that you you stated samaria um that she had Loving, caring, supportive parents who let her explore her boundaries, and because of that, she, you know, became a a, a very decent person. So yeah. I, I, you know, there's something to be said there, uh, Saima.
3: So I just wanted to add on to what Samaria was saying about Egwene being ooh, wisdom, ooh, I said There's um, there's a person called Lee Butler who did a reread for the Tor.com uh, com website. And she did a reread for the whole for the whole series of books. And for the book readers out there, I really recommend it. But she starts referring to Egwene as the ooh-ooh girl. Ooh. And it's exactly because <laughs> of what Samaria said. It's like, ooh, you know, I can be wisdom. Ooh, it can be I Sedai. And ooh, I won't say it anymore. Ooh, but it just when you said that, it just completely reminded me um, of, <laughs> and of and Lee Butler. Right. Um, but well, but another thing um about Egwene, oh, sorry. Ruach said about service, and it made me think that Egwene's kind of like the first daughter of Emmonsfield or Two Rivers, right? So she's the yeah, daughter yeah. of the mayor. Um, she's a daughter of Marin, who, you know, has in the show, she's seen as kind of has high standing in uh, in the village. So she's the first daughter. But then Ruach, as he was speaking, it was actually reminding me of what we were saying about Lan, Right, and he he's a mm-hmm. king, but it's very much about service, and it, it's something just pinged in me that actually the culture of the Borderlanders is very similar to the Two Rivers, and book readers like make of that what you will. I I think yeah. that's something really interesting to explore.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that yeah, the all of those things that you just put together are are fairly new concepts for me as well. So yeah, yeah. the idea I'm, I'm, of public service
7: and personal yeah. service. And the other thing that came up is, you know, she's, she's very practical, also a little magical. Egwene is Mary Poppins. <laughs>
4: Practically perfect in every way. Exactly.
0: Um, something I should point out, uh, it's in my notes, uh, she has four older sisters. Oh. So Egwene is the youngest child. Oh. Uh, make, make from that what you will.
3: So that's what I was, I was referring like, to in that she's cleaned eyes. tables better than anybody else. She, she, she's the best at doing it out of all her sisters.
7: So, competitive. Greg, street. you've hurt
3: my
4: brain on something. That makes oh? Rand Burt.
7: <laughs> oh, oh, with the Mary Poppins. Yeah. Yeah. Oh.
0: <laughs> That makes random. Okay, I was so confused because I was thinking of Burton Ernie. Burton Ernie.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of bad accents.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that's what we call a callback. (laughs) Um, Yeah, very much so. Um, Any uh, anybody else have any thoughts on Egwene? I think we pretty much. We, we dug in pretty deep there and found some interesting things, but I think it's about time to move on. And I think we have time for maybe one more character on this episode. And then, uh, yeah, we'll have to part this one out, and turn it into a two parter. Uh, so hey, we, we could got... add
4: Loyal, and that way it's four and four. Oh, there you yeah. go. Um,
0: and uh, so we've got one more character to go.
5: Axel, I'm going to let you choose. Ooh, um, I guess if we're, we've got to equate, okay, then the next in, on the kind of like the circle would be Rand.
4: This episode is brought to you by 4 Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number 4 and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some lovely art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and, of course, The Wheel of Time. You all really should check out 4 Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number 4 and cats with a K. 4 Cats Boutique. On Etsy.
0: Rand. All right. Uh, Thor played by Josh Stradowski. This is obviously his his ginormous break. Um, and and if he plays this right, is going to lead to a lot of, of future work for him, I'm sure. Um, and then Rand, uh, the character that he's playing, Randell Thor, uh, son of Tam and Kari Althor. Thor. What do we know about Rand? He's a dragon, <laughs> allegedly. Is, is, yeah, he a, sure,
2: is he a man or he is, he, sure is he is he a dragon he's man? Dragon?
5: He's pretty, yeah. He's in, now he really is kind of like he's an ex dragon, right? He came, he did the dragon thing, and now, now what? His role in the world was is done. A man. That's it. He can retire. Well, he was
0: a dragon man. No, no, really. Actually, he was just a man, but he was still <laughs> thought
2: Uh, sorry i don't
0: know where that came from
2: i do yeah
0: (laughs) uh so so al thor the dragon um yeah uh what else do we know about rand Uh,
2: we know he's an aielman or he's an aielman pretending to be a two rivers man
0: uh according to loyal according to loyal yeah
5: He's, uh, I mean, he's an orphan. He, he, you know, ha- he had a really fun childhood. Um, he's good at hitting things with swords and shooting things with a bow that he doesn't know how to look after properly. Yeah. Um, he needs to. He clearly needs to have a bowmanship class. <laughs> yeah. Um.
0: So, so Rand, is a person, what kind of person does he seem to be?
1: Um... He's a dude. And okay, let me, let me okay, so what I mean by that. Like if I met Ran on campus back when I was an undergrad, I'd be like, okay, he's a pretty good guy, but he would frustrate me because he would come to my feminist group meetings and then just be such a man about it. Where he's like, I am an ally, I support feminism and then just says something completely like just wrong. But entirely unintentionally and well-meaning, which are actually the worst kind of like men to deal with. Um, they're the hardest <laughs> to argue with um, or correct, you know. Um, and you know he's he means well. You know he right. wants he wants to settle down and take care of Egwene and raise two point five beautiful children and you know <laughs> sh- you know herd the sheep. Just you know he's he's lovely, but you know, he also doesn't listen and he can be kind of self-absorbed and and inconsiderate in a way where you're like okay you're not a bad guy but you you know you're making you're making me feel like a bit of a bitch for like calling you out on things um you know please don't tell Egwene what to do you know that kind of thing um where he's like but it's for her own good I'm like Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know i would i would i like i don't have anything against fran he he honestly he's very endearing and he amuses me but also like he needs to be pinched every now and then real hard (laughs) he is a dude Yeah,
7: yeah he sounds like a guy that was brought up by you know a military veteran you know single father
0: sheep farmer
4: yeah um along, along those lines like the the idea that you know it, it, the the person you're describing samari i feel has is that person who's happy with how things are and wants to seem supportive of people but we don't need to change anything right we're just gonna you're gonna i still get all the privileges that i'm used to getting i just want to get used to and it's like mm, that's that's not i feel that he that rand is very content with the life that's ahead of him like, oh, he's going to clearly marry Egwene, and this is going to be where he's going to take over the farm. He doesn't need to go to other cities. He doesn't need to, like, things are fine how they are. And then all this stuff comes up that starts possibly changing things. It's a like, wait, no, you, you can't ruin the image that I have of how things are going to go. Like, that's not fair. I want it how I want it. And I've always seen things going this way why are you messing with what I want? And I feel like that's what the, the, um, the dark one offered him at the end is here's, here's that thing you want. Mm -hmm. I'll just give you that thing you want and you can go back to not worrying about anything. And so it felt like it was maybe some growth for him to go, Mm -hmm. wait, this isn't what I want.
7: Take the blue. What I want isn't
4: just the pretty picture. I want it to actually be better. So. I feel that that's the growth we got in that final episode. And I don't feel we got it for the previous episodes. We saw Rand just be Rand for all of it. And I think it happened in that moment. If that moment with the Dark One had happened in any of the previous episodes, I think he would have taken it. Well, uh, I think he would have, this is, yes, this is what I want. I'm married to Gwen. I've got a kid. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks, Dark One. Have fun with the world. (laughs)
7: well another thing to keep in mind is it seems like one of the reasons that he had that initial you know this is what I want to do just settle down is because that's what's expected and it's uh, it's something that you know he's sort of duty bound but now he discovers he's got this whole other duty where he's got to either save or break the world that's a bit of a mind fuck. Yeah.
4: Well, and it's also, but it's, it's very easy for people that refer to that whole duty bound thing when that duty bound is what they want. Right. If you don't have a conflict with the thing that everybody's telling you how it's supposed to go, well, then of course, I'll just let it go that way. Yeah. And that's, that's whether or not also. that possibly removes somebody else's dream or something like, well, yeah, but this is how it's supposed to go. Right. And I think the offer that you're talking about, sorry,
7: go ahead. No, but that's that's Egwene also, and her difference, you know, the difference between her and uh, and Rand right there in that they've got these, it, like, Egwene has multiple choices. There are different decisions she could make that would affect her life and everyone else's. But Rand, you know, he was like, "I don't have a choice. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be in the farm." And now it's like, this is what, I don't have a choice. This is what I'm going to do. I'm either going to save or destroy everything. Possibly so both. the stakes got way higher, and he doesn't have a choice.
0: Yeah. But I would say um, if the stakes are going to get that high, and it's a job of work that needs to be done, mm-hmm. Um, who who else would you want that falling to? But, you know, somebody raised as a farmhand who just knows that you, you got to get the job of work done and, and yeah. it doesn't matter if it's it raining messy. or whatever. You, you <laughs> got to just do it. Yeah.
7: yeah, It's just that he, I think he's, he's, he's starting to realize that, okay, this isn't as simple as moving a herd of sheep from one place to another. Yeah. This is moving all the sheep from one place to another, (laughs) on the other side of the world. So it's going to be a little difficult. Not sure how I feel about that.
0: Um,
3: So I'd just like to say that Samaria just killed me. I nearly fell off my chair. Um, (laughs) I had to take a moment there and uh, pull myself together.
0: Yeah, I I was watching you slowly. I I could read your thoughts and and it, it was, yeah, yeah. I was thinking very similar thoughts as well.
3: Yeah, and you also saw me literally slipping down yeah. <laughs> off my chair. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, no, no. Do not apologize. It's I can't say why, but do not apologize. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, but let's, um, let's
0: just say that may have been the most accurate description of Rand anybody has ever given anywhere at any time.
3: But it also makes me want to want to defend him. And uh <laughs> and I think that that it, there's a distinction there for me with with book rand and show rand so book rand um and ruak might know the 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 terminology for this but there's this uh you know the the trope of of particular fantasy whether the the main character doesn't really have much of a personality so that the reader can imprint themselves Mm. and um and there's a a lot of people say that, that, that rand in the books is like that where you get to know all the other characters, they have very, you know, particular um, personality types. And, and Rand is a little bit more kind of blank canvas so that the reader can imprint themselves on him. And I think initially I feel that in the books and, and, and then later on it develops You further. know,
0: I, I'm not sure if I believe you on that because I've never read Rand as, as a blank character. I mean, Rand has always just been uh, pretty much me at 18 years old.
7: Um, it, yeah. So I don't think that you're well. You
0: could be proving
3: this.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's argument for it either way. <laughs>
0: well,
3: no, I, I think the the first I don't know how many reads. You know, I I, I loved Perrin. I, Nynaeve was you know I've already spoken about how much I love Nynaeve. and I as I've got older, now I I resonate more with Rand, but that may be because now I have the whole story. You know, so I have this entire arc, and now I go back and I see the innocence and you know the the, the freshness at the start um, w- with Shoran, uh, and I, I've had uh, I've had very uh, loud conversations with my with my cousin and other friends about this, um, you know, about oh he's you know he's such a dumbass. Why did he? Why is he like this with Egwene? And I was like, well, you're gonna find out because he just he'd found out in the first episode that his father may not be his father. He's he's like his entire world has you know, crumbled. And I, and I kind of felt really, I felt bad for Rand, the people complaining about Rand because it's like, well, no, remember in episode one, when Egwene goes to him on the mountaintop before she even says that she's made a choice, he's the one that says, I know, right? And then he comforts her and she, she's, you know, she's, she's sad that they're breaking up. But that to me was a real mature way of accepting that their paths, you know, they're going on different paths. Then the next episode, he he's he's a dumbass, but because <laughs> you, but then you you find out later wh- why that was, and I think when you go back and look at the season and and then Rand's character as a whole, I hope people can be a little bit a little kinder to him, um, because yeah. because of that. Well-
0: I, I did notice that uh, a lot of them, you know, we, we joked about how uh, Rand and Matt went back and forth as who was being the dick that episode and, right. and how a lot of them had, yeah. had these just moments of complete dickishness. But I mean, when we have to consider what they were going through and they, you know, their village just got torched. Rand just found out that his dad isn't his dad and his, his girlfriend is dumping him to, to be a doctor um you know to go to med- medical school essentially um <laughs> uh you know uh perrin just killed his wife and you know everybody else thinks that that she died from trollic attack he knows the truth which is you know just compounds the the fact that his wife is dead um you know and they're naive.
2: nine Eve. Yeah, they they're all morning
0: naive. Yeah. So I mean the fact that they were all being kind of snappish at each other makes perfect sense to me. They were all raw and and not knowing what was going on. So, oh, not so to mention they think...
5: dragged away from home for the first time in their entire life to go halfway across a continent to save the world. What the fuck? Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't so. think any of us were
4: saying we didn't understand where they were coming from. You can identify dickishness yeah. and still understand that the motivations of <laughs> the why they got there. It's still dickishness. Yes. This is true.
3: Yeah, and, and, that, and that whole conversation with Randon Egwene, you know, he is being a dick right even if later on you realize why you know his his world is crumbling and all of this and i said this you know to to my husband i said you know out of all of them rand is the one that's carrying the most trauma because he's just found out about you know he may not his father may not be his father but then he my daniel corrected me saying no actually perrin is the one that's carrying the most trauma because he just killed his wife and i was like well yeah but that's the change from the books that doesn't count so (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay, and then uh, we'll just wrap up with Rand here. I think we've covered quite a bit, and we're getting late into this episode. Uh, just one one quick question about Rand. Uh, what do we think is going on um, with Rand? Where is he going? What, what's his future going to be?
1: Well... That's a good
7: question.
0: I don't know if he
7: knows exactly where he's going.
1: Yeah, He knows
7: he's got to do this thing. I don't think he knows... How to get there at all, he doesn't trust Moraine uh, to help guide him there. So, I yeah, I have no idea. It's like he's is he going further into the blight? Is he just going to, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm f- I am fully open to whatever they want to do to it, you know, what they want to where they want to bring him, but Greg, I've got do you... zero preconceived notions.
3: What do you what do you mean by he's going to go do a thing? What do you think he's going to do?
7: I don't know. <laughs> it's like he's, he, he knows he's got to, you know, he knows he's the dragon. He knows there's something the dragon has to do. I don't think he knows what that is. I do you think, think-
3: he, he thinks he's done what he was meant to do, though? Because the whole push of towards, the, like Moraine clearly thinks there's more to it. But the final scene with Rand. Does he think he's done what he was meant to do, and now he's off to go mad? I don't think so. I
7: don't think so. I think he wants it to be done, but I don't think it is. And he doesn't know what's coming. Uh, Is he just going off to clear his head? Is he going off to find new direction? Is he going off to
4: hide? I don't know. That's the question I was going to pose of the panel was... Do you know we all had that moment of debating whether or not that was the dark one? Is that, you know, and and do we think that Rand thinks the dark one is done? Oh no. Is that did that encounter finish off the dark one for this round in Rand's mind. I Maybe he may want it to,
7: but I think he knows it's not.
2: We talked about it in the final episode, and I I agree at this point. I think he's gonna go off and try and find his real parents. He's going to head towards Aiel.
1: I feel like he's going off to figure something out. And I think that something is one, what is he really doing? And I think that is because he doesn't trust Maureen. Definitely not anymore. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to go learn about what's really going on on my own terms um, with my own, you know, decisions about which direction I'm going to head in, both literally and figuratively. And I'm going to do it without these outside influences, either from Moraine, or the tower, the nebulous tower that I know is now after me. Um, you know, even, you know, my very best friends that I had grown up with my entire life, and set out on this journey with. Um, which, you know, definitely, I think it does include figuring out who his parents are, the truth of that matter, you know, who raised him, who birthed him, you know, Loyal called me an us what's that about? I'm going to go find out and I'm, you know, I'm no longer going to let people decide whether I do that now or later or at all.
7: Yeah, you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of things in his motivation that I'm just not, I don't know if he knows what the hell is happening. Um, so I don't know if he's going to go to Aiel right away. Um, he's going to take some time to figure out what his next step is and then take that next step. But I don't think he knows it yet as of the end of the season. So, you know, during the hiatus, his mind will have made up and he'd go somewhere, but I have no idea where that's going to be.
4: The evidence that I would say leans towards the Aiel moment is of all the decisions he has to make he doesn't have a location for any of them. Figuring out what the dragon means, figuring out anything more about the dark one, figuring out anything about the madness, don't have a place he can go that he knows right now. So, but with the Aiel connection, he has a tangible place and people that he can go interact with. And I think that that's gonna be something, looking at it from like a character development kind of way, there's a connection, there's a lead. And I think that that may be the lead that he, he starts off with. I'm not saying he's not going to be also investigating all of the things you mentioned, but I think that that lead might send him that way.
7: It could just as easily send him back to Two Rivers. so You know, maybe that would be the place where he goes to contemplate. And Do you think over... he
4: thinks any answers are in Two Rivers, though?
7: Well, I think at the very least he can get more information from his dad.
4: Valid, mm-hmm. valid.
7: And also, just sort of a, you know, sort of a home base to, to, you know, to a a nice quiet corner to
4: sit in and contemplate. Unless he has any fear that the Trollocs are still coming,
2: or that the madness is going to hurt people that he like, likes or loves, because he knows yeah. the madness is coming.
7: Yeah, it, it's it's really really open ended with him, just because. You know, we, we don't really trust that he's the dragon, you know? It's like, I'm still calling it allegedly until,
4: you know.
3: If we get to season eight and you're still questioning who the dragon is.
4: <laughs> he will have fully formed into a dragon. <laughs> no, I'm kidding.
7: I'm not going to believe he's a dragon until he, he flies around breathing fire with scales.
4: Don't, don't spoil season six for me, please.
6: <laughs>
7: and then Khaleesi's going to get on his back and ride him. for No. Oh,
4: so after the Firefly crossover, we have the Game of Thrones crossover. <laughs> <laughs> They're all in the
0: same world. Okay, I think with uh, that uh, devolution, uh, we can <laughs> put a pin in this one and call that an episode. We are Devo. Yes, we are Devo. If you want to interact with the panel or with me, uh, you can send those messages to watchpartywatt at gmail.com. That's watchpartywot at gmail. Uh, We have no mail for this week for our mailbag, but hopefully we'll get some more mail in the future. Uh, We want to say thank you, as always, to our benefactors, uh, Michael and Jen, out at the Watch Party Secret Island headquarters. Thank you so much, Michael and Jen. Thank you,
7: Michael and
4: Jen.
0: And final question for our panel. Fuck, I have no idea. What is our final question? <laughs> you, you had
4: a grin on your face. I thought you had a really good All one. Right, this I, is was good yeah, I, I was, was like, I like
0: knew. No. No, no, the grin on my face was, I hope something comes to me by the time I'm done saying this <laughs> sentence.
7: <laughs> you know, the fading out on that laughter would be just as good <laughs> as anything we could come up with.